Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Welcome back to Therapy and Theology. And today I have the honor of having a, another interview, and I'm so excited to be interviewing Mark McMinn. After a long academic career conducting research and teaching doctoral students in health service psychology, Mark now spends his time writing and providing psychotherapy a few hours each week and growing fruit in rural Oregon. His most recent books are The Power of Slow, Forthcoming, A Time for Wisdom, and Embodying Integration, A Fresh Look at Christianity in the Therapy Room. And today we are going to be talking about self-brokenness and healing relationships. Welcome to the show, Mark. I would love for us to start today's conversation by hearing a little bit more about your journey to where you are now and your interests in professional work that intersect with therapy and theology. Thank you, Carly. It's, it's good to know about your podcast and thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, my journey. I live in my home state of Oregon. I, I actually grew up on a hazelnut farm in, in rural Oregon, which means I'm a psychologist who grew up on a nut farm. <laughs> which I, um, I, I, yeah, I used to get a laugh. Um, I love it. But I really, yeah. 
But but Oregon has been sort of the place I keep returning to. My wife and I actually met in ninth grade at junior high school, and, oh. uh, and we got married at the ripe old age of twenty. And we've, uh, we're coming up on forty four years of marriage now. Oh, so that's wonderful. that's a big part of my story. Lisa's a, a sociologist, a spiritual director, uh, an amazing mm. mother to our three daughters, and uh, she's really been an important part of my journey. I did my graduate work at Vanderbilt University in Tennessee and loved living there for a few years. Came back to Oregon, started my academic career at George Fox. Then it was George Fox College. Yes. Uh, and then somehow ended up with 13 amazing years. I really loved these years at Wheaton College in Illinois. We moved the family across the country. And the book we're going to be talking about mostly today was written during my early years at Wheaton. And then... Oregon kept calling. So I, I uh, at some point, we packed up the U-Haul again and moved back to Oregon after 13 years in the Midwest. Wow. And I finished my academic career at George Fox. It was then George Fox University. And yep. two years ago, I retired. Okay. And what I found is I have just so loved, I retired fairly early as far as these things go. And I've just so loved writing and doing some therapy work. It's really been remarkable. I've, I've done those things through my whole career, but when I take the, when I have the extra space that the academic life didn't afford me to sort of yeah. spend more time thinking about clinical work and thinking about writing, I find them just incredibly life-giving. You asked in your question, I'm rambling here, you asked in your question about, about therapy and theology. So let me say, I think they're kind of three enduring interests in my life. One of them is a term we use in academia called integration, and I suspect we'll end up talking about that some today. Mm -hmm. That's been an enduring interest for my whole life. The other is the church. There's a story there I probably won't have time to talk about today, but, but at some point in mid-career, I decided that my passion was really finding ways that psychology and the church can work together. So that's been a an enduring interest. And the final one I'll, I'll say is grace. I've written several books that have been motivated by this topic of grace. And it seems to me that that's really at the core of Christian theology, and it's yeah. at the core of therapy. It's what we do every right. day when we sit with people. And so, so that's probably been my most pervasive interest in life, is the topic of grace and how it shows up in our relationships, in our faith, in the lives we live every day. Yeah, I love that intersection between the counseling room and God's heart for us, right, is that grace component. So for me, I was first introduced to your work in grad school a few years ago, and I read the book Psychology, Theology, and Spirituality in Christian Counseling, and it has been such a guide to me, both personally and professionally, a resource in my clinical work with just integrating my passion and concepts of faith, feeling, and spiritual formation that I talk a lot about here on the podcast. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit more about the definition and importance of these connections for the Christian client, specifically what is integration and why could it be and is it important to our spiritual health? Yeah, so, so there's that word, integration. Uh, it, yeah. I think it's a really important word. That book you mentioned, I, I sometimes call it the book that won't die. And I'm not <laughs> complaining. I, I, really, I really am glad that it's still helping people. But I wrote it initially mm -hmm. in 1996, a long, yeah. long time ago. I had a chance to update it in 2011, but it's, so, it's been around a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so what is integration? I think we're pretty good in, in contemporary life at parsing things out and specializing in things. So like if you have a medical problem, 
you go to the medical doctor. And if you have an emotional problem, you go to the counselor. And if you have a spiritual problem, you go to your pastor. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea of integration is that these things can't be so neatly divided. It's not, it's not like right. medical problems have nothing to do with emotional health, nor is it that spiritual health has nothing to do with psychological health. These things are part and parcel of the human person. They're part of what it means to be a whole person. So that's what integration is, especially in, in regard to two of those areas that I just mentioned, faith and emotional health. Those things go together. Mm-hmm. Can we be spiritually healthy and a mess psychologically? Like, like I imagine you're a therapist. Imagine a client <laughs> in a major depression, suicidal ideation, can't sleep or eat, saying to you, but at least I'm doing great with my faith. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to happen, right? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Those things are so interrelated that mm-hmm. faith and emotional health have to be considered, or at least I think ought to be considered side by side. That's integration. Yes. Uh, some people have called it desegregation. Uh, I was trying to search for the word there, but I actually kind of like that. If you, if you look back yeah. historically, faith and emotional health were always considered as part of the same conversation. And then about 100 years ago, we started dividing them into separate categories. And now we're saying, let's see if we can talk about them together again. Yeah. Just one one other thing. I think one of the the sort of litmus tests for integration is what I call mutual transformation. And that's the idea that if I'm taking my faith seriously, it's going to impact my views of emotional and mental health. Oh, I love that. And it goes the other way, too. If I'm doing my psychology well, it's going to impact my views about faith. It's, it goes both directions. It's mutual transformation. And if it's not doing that, it's not really integration. Yeah. And I see this so much with my clients as well. And even my own process when it comes to my own emotional work and, and therapy and theology is that when I'm, you know, the importance of this for all of us is, is like you said, can we be spiritually mature and emotionally mature? There's a connection there. And I think that we see that both in our own lives and then in the lives of those around us. And so in your book, you map out uh, or introduce this interactive model for psychological and spiritual health that I love. And it includes three foundational components. And I would love for you to share a little bit more about these elements and then how they interact with each other specifically. Yeah. So again, I wrote this book a long time ago, and I appreciate kind of giving you giving me a little heads up on this question because it's possible that I spent some time last night sitting out on the porch rereading this portion of the book so that I, I could remember what I actually said. And I liked it okay. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for liking it too. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, it, it's kind of it's kind of like a triangle. And you think about three corners of a triangle that this this all becomes important in terms of how we think about health and our own struggles for health. And the three are a view of self. I, I use the word in the book, accurate view of self. And I took a little heat from it from some colleagues because they rightly say none of us really have an accurate view of ourselves. But the idea is the closer we can get to it, the more accurate we can view ourselves, the better we're going to be, the healthier we're going to be. The second corner of the triangle is a sort of accurate view of, oh, there's different words for this, but my need, my brokenness, my the fact that I can't manage everything on my own perfectly in life, that that there's limits to who I am. I've really, really, I told you I had this lifelong interest in grace. 
but I also have a lifelong interest in sin because I'm not sure you can talk about grace without talking about sin. And I don't think you can talk about sin without talking about grace. So that's that second corner, sort of the, the brokenness that we bring into the world, that we're not everything we want to be. And then the third part of the triangle is relationships, and specifically the important role of healthy, healing relationships in our life, that, that we are created to be in relationship with one another, to be in relationship with God. And it's not until we are able to experience that, that we can kind of move into places of, of health. So those are the three, the three corners of the triad that I wrote about in that book. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Yeah, I love this model because it allows anyone, I think, to reflect on how they're viewing themselves and their needs and their relational connectedness with both God and others. And I see, I, you know, I often use these components in my therapy work just to kind of identify where people are psychologically and also spiritually to be able to see, are they able to acknowledge themselves as beloved? Are they able to acknowledge their limitations, like you said, and are they in healthy relationships with God and others? And so you note in your book that there's a balance, that the balanced sense of self and the balanced sense of brokenness, I like that idea of it's a continual process, right? We're trying to move towards our understanding of who we are um, in Christ throughout all of our lives. And so this balance of sense of self, brokenness, and close relationships with God and others brings maturity and health. And also the latter brings disintegration and leads to maybe distortions in our sense of self and 
maybe hiding like that, the shame or the guilt that we experience in life. And I think it breaks us away from relationships as well. And so can, can we walk through these kind of parallel systems here of our sense of self faulty and, and this accurate view of self, our sense of need, both the faulty and accurate, and then our understanding of healing relationships, because I, I've taken some notes on this too. And I, I believe that these components are so necessary. And so for listeners, how can we maybe explore these places of health? Yeah. Thank you. That's a really thoughtful question. And I actually really love the way you phrased it because you talk about balance and moving toward, which I, I think I like those phrases because it puts it on a continuum. And I, when yeah, I look back on yeah. this book last night, I was feeling like in some ways I created more of a dichotomy than I wish I would have. So I, I did talk about like health and a sort of healthy view and a faulty view, kind of like it's yes, one or the yeah. other. And I, th- I think it's more accurate to say it the way you raised the question, which is we're all in it. We're all in a journey. We're all in a continuum here. But, but I'll go ahead for, for the sake of, of sort of fidelity to the book and just to paint the picture, I'll go ahead and do that same dichotomy, sort of healthy and faulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I, again, want to just say continue as a better way to look at it. So an accurate view of self, that's one corner of the triad. And uh, I think in a healthy sense, we feel comfortable with ourselves. If, if we're, if we have a, healthy self-concept. We can sort of set ourselves aside. We can be a sort of self-forgetful in a sense. We're not, we're not obsessed about whether we're okay or mm-hmm. whether we're great or whether we're terrible. It, it's just not <laughs> sort of the thing we're thinking about that much. Yeah. Whereas the faulty end of that continuum is, is sort of a self-obsession. All of our problems, how miserable we are, how terrible we are, or how great we are, how wonderful we are, how everyone ought to listen more to us. I mean, you can see a sort of narcissistic sort of end to that, or you can see more of a sort of fragmented, decomposed sense of self. But but in either case, we're focused on ourselves. And I think the healthiest way of being in the world, and it's not just automatically easy to get there, but I think the healthiest way is to not not spend so much time thinking about ourselves. You mentioned something in the book about, you know, stopping the thought of whether we're good or bad, you know, and then taking our eyes kind of off of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And and by the way, I should say, I'm not like entirely successful at this. This is something that revisits me from time to time in life where I can get pretty self-obsessed too. (laughs) So that's, but that's part, that's one of the corners that try I've done sort of healthy, faulty. The the next one is a sort of sense of, of brokenness or need. I think a healthy view of of need is realizing that we're not sufficient on our own. That's the sort of heart mm. of spirituality, Christian spirituality, at least that there is that, that God is bigger than us, that God is greater than me, that, that there's a yearning for something transcendent, something beyond mm. myself. And I, as I mentioned, I, I would say that includes an awareness of our own brokenness. Yes. Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a book once where she titled one of her chapters, Sin is Our Only Hope. And by that, what she meant, and it was a lovely book, by the way, it's called Speaking of Sin. But, but by that, what she meant was, unless we recognize our brokenness, we're not going to be reaching out to God. And so there's right. a sense in which sin is our hope, because it reminds us we're not sufficient. We need to reach out. We need to look for someone bigger than us. And that someone bigger is God. It's a call to humility. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so then there's a faulty dimension there too, and that's where we tend to 
we, rather than taking on our own sense of need, our own sense of brokenness, we tend to externalize. We blame others. We see that the problems in the world are someone else's fault. Now, again, I wrote this, you know, in, in the last millennia, in 1996, I wrote this book. But, but think about today how this yeah. is so prevalent in our world. So we always prevalent. want to, I mean, just read Facebook, right? We're always looking for ways <laughs> yeah. to sort of blame someone else for what's going on in the world and, yeah. and for the problems we have. I don't think that's a healthy view of, of, of need, of our brokenness. I, I think that's actually mm-hmm. quite damaging and destructive. To be in this place of health, we need to recognize I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. That's so good. Years ago, Donald Miller wrote this lovely book called Blue Like Jazz, and he had this mm-hmm. illustration that, that he wanted to go to a protest sometime with a sign that says, I am the problem. Because, you know, we, the protests <laughs> we have are always focusing out outward to someone else. But, yeah. but that's, that's true, right? We are the problem. So we're, we're all part of the problem. And so recognizing that. And then the third corner of that triad about the healing relationships. I think the healthy part is recognizing our need for relationships and seeing the healing, the deeply healing role of relationships in life. We can't go this on our own. We need people. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know if you find this as a therapist, but I do, that, that so often the work we do is not like deep pathology kind of work. We just are working with people who need Someone to talk to. We need to be connected yes. because that's what humans are. We, we're people who need to be in connection and relationship with people. And then this can go wrong too. There's a sort of faulty way that we approach relationships. And exactly. that's when, when in therapy, for example, we don't structure the relationship well and we, we get sloppy with our boundaries or we allow clients to become too dependent on us. And, and before we know it, like, the person is is so reliant on us that they can't develop other relationships in their life. Um, so there, there's faulty dimensions here, too. Or I think this whole notion of splitting that therapists talk about, where we can divide the world into good and bad. And, and if we're not careful in our relationships, we can kind of yes. fall prey to that. So so it's so great to be like the good therapist, the good <laughs> The, the, like the best, yeah. you're, you're the like the best person I've ever talked to. You're wonderful. You're amazing. But in, yeah. in accepting that kind of compliment, sometimes we're actually encouraging a worldview that says everyone's either really good or really bad, really bad. and we've split the world, mm-hmm. and and we actually make it harder for people to relate outside of the therapy office. Now, so that's a mouthful. But that that's kind of the healing so and faulty dimensions for each of the, the corners of the triad. Yeah. And I I love all of these, but tacking off what you just said about healing relationships. I think I see this where we see this in our individual lives outside the counseling. I see this in my clients' lives of this challenge of being fearful uh, of connection and, and healing relationships, but then also being um, enmeshed in those relationships. And I think that that balance, like you talk about, is so important of being able to see the beautiful aspect of healing relationships, but then also to not be so consumed in relationship that, that we don't know who we are outside of those relationships. And I think that's a really important aspect of this. Yeah, I, that's well said. And I think, you know, for, all, for whoever among your listeners who are, are therapists or counselors, we all recognize how much of our training goes around this, right? It's it's not just, we don't just go to school and learn about sort of right. relaxation methods. I mean, those are good right. too, but, sure. but what we spend so much time 
learning is what the sort of the healthiest kind of relationship Mm -hmm. that we can craft in the therapy office is going to look like and what it looks like when it kind of goes the direction we don't want it to go and how that can be harmful to people. So this is so important in terms of how we do the therapy relationship and the people we work with. Yeah. And so in that same vein, what recommendations or maybe even some practical steps when we're looking at sense of self, sense of need and, and understanding healing relationships, what steps would you offer those who are desiring to grow in this continuum towards health, whether that be seeing themselves in a certain way or recognizing their needs and stepping into relationships that are healthy? So I, I mentioned at the beginning how much I have come to love the therapy process. And I mean that as a therapist, but I also mean that as someone who has had therapy recently yeah. again, I, I, either periodically through my life, I've gotten into therapy. I just find that to be, and, I, and I'm not like saying you have to be in therapy to be healthy. I'm not saying that, <laughs> but I just found that I find that to be so meaningful in terms of yes. putting relationship back at the heart of it all. Cause that's what I think that's, that's our theology too, right? Not, not that I'm not saying therapy is our theology. I'm saying relationship is our theology mm-hmm. that, that yes. God ultimately wants relationship with us and we are created for relationship with God. And when relationship goes bad in life is when we feel the most suffering. I had a colleague once challenging me to say, can you think of any time as a therapist, can you think of any time where within the first five minutes, a relationship doesn't come up as part of the conversation? Right. (laughs) And I I couldn't, I couldn't. I mean, it's always there. It's always at the heart of the things we struggle with. Yeah. And I think it's always going to be at the heart of our healing is, is relationship. Mm, yes. And I also mentioned, I mentioned grace, this sort of lifelong interest I have in grace. Uh, I think that's at the heart of everything too. It, it's just, it just is. And the third thing I'll mention in terms of practical steps is conversation. I had this amazing chance a few years ago. I, I wrote a book with my daughter. My daughter's a psychologist. Oh. Um, and or actually, I, I what I should say, she just finished her doctorate in psychology. I think within a matter of weeks, she's taking her final exam and or for licensure, and then then we can call her a psychologist. <laughs> but we wrote this book together a couple of years ago called "Embodying Integration: A yeah. Fresh Look at Christianity in the Counseling Room." I might have the title slightly wrong, but but that's the essence of it. And the thing that I I found so interesting is. To, it, it caused me to rethink what we're doing with integration. Uh, back mm-hmm. in when I wrote mm-hmm. this other book we've been talking about, we used to have like these big charts on the, I want to say whiteboard, but we didn't have whiteboards. We had chalkboards. We had these big <laughs> charts on the chalkboard sort of showing the relationship between theology and therapy. And that's just not the way we think about it anymore. And and Megan Anna Neff, my daughter, has really helped me sort of rethink this. And and the way the way we frame it in this book, Embodying Integration, is conversation that integration actually shows up as conversation and i so i I tell students this and they think i'm talking about like a didactic mess like how we're going to do it in the classroom but that's not really what i mean if you think about it if you're if you 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 look young carly let's say you're going to do therapy for for 30 more years and you do it 50 weeks a year and you see 25 people a week that turns out to be 37,500 conversations you're going to have professionally in your lifetime. Some of these are going to be deeply important conversations. A few of them are going to change people's lives forever. Yeah. 
That's what I mean when I say integration is conversation. That's how mm. it shows up. It shows up in, in a podcast. It shows up in a therapy office. It shows up in yeah. a friendship. It shows up in a conversation with a pastor. This is integration. It's the relational substance of what we do in our world day after day after day. And it's what changes us. It's what changes other people. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I think it's so important to be able to give voice to how we're feeling and what we're thinking and allow those conversations to take place. And that takes bravery and courage. And I think going back to a healthy sense of self, being able to recognize our Imago Dei, you talk about this in the book of our Christ likeness and how that empowers us to then step into these conversations that heal us and that encourage us to keep walking with, with the Lord and others. And I think for, for many of us that that can be hard work, even just stepping into honest and vulnerable conversations, uh, but it can be beautiful work and in such healing work. Right. So good. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing just your wisdom with us. And I am so excited for your upcoming work um, to be coming out in the next few months. And we'll definitely keep people posted on on when those things come up because I'd love to continue sharing your work. And I just pray blessing and continued enjoyment over this this new season, this next season of, of your life in ministry. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Carly. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing the work of this podcast. I know it's going to bless people. Um, I don't mean just this one, but the work that you do, you know, week after week to do this podcast. I know it's a blessing to people. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkwilliard.com. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.